SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program this Friday, April 14, well, we'll start with some hard current affairs stories, first looking at the unexpected consequences of Gideon Lisa's resignation from the opposition front bench. In the program, we'll hear how this move has prompted a display of a kind of a bipartisanship on the voice to parliament. In the same context of hard current affairs, we'll explore the water crisis in Walgate in New South Wales. Also on NITV Radio this Friday afternoon, we have a conversation with Sunny Ray Thompson talking about Saltbush, a groundbreaking First Nations children's theatre performance. We'll learn how this play was born overseas, has travelled around the world for over 10 years before coming back home, running at Sydney Opera House from today till next Monday. And in sport, leading into this weekend's AFL gather round, it appears instead of just celebrating footy, the AFL is tarnished once again by displays of racism against some indigenous players. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news, broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Patron Tungandami Ngaya, I am Patron Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. This bulletin, Joint Committee on Indigenous Voice to Parliament starts a hearing. Hearings. Tropical Cyclone Ilsa enters WA and is downgraded to a Category 3 storm. And in sport, the AFL Gather Round kicks off with a massive win for the Crows. The Joint Select Committee on the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Voice Referendum has started its hearings. The committee is meant to determine if the, te- the text achieves its intentions by receiving contributions from various witnesses. The first day of hearings today in Canberra will hear representatives of the Uluru Statement as well as legal witnesses. Senator Anita Green is the chair of the committee. In her opening address, she said the hearings were an opportunity for all views to be expressed. It is essential that we all engage in open and respectful discussions and that all witnesses on the program have a fair and reasonable opportunity to put forward their views on the bill which is before us. These public hearings are an opportunity for the Parliament to demonstrate how it can be at its best when members and senators work together in the public interest. 
Senator Malandri McCarthy has warned Peter Dutton not to use crime in Alice Springs as a political football during the campaign for The Voice. Mr. Dutton has used a visit to the Northern Territory to further the Liberal No campaign position that the Indigenous Voice won't fix issues on the ground for communities. Northern Territory Senator McCarthy says issues in Alice Springs shouldn't be exploited for political gain. She's also responded to claims by the opposition leader of Indigenous children being returned to abusers. It is a very serious allegation to raise the abuse of a child and a serious allegation to make that a a child is being returned to an abuser. I would ask opposition leader Peter Dutton, if you are aware of this, then you need to mandatory report it to police so that there can be an investigation immediately. And if you haven't done that, I would urge you to do so as soon as possible. Mr Dutton has called for the Australian Federal Police to be brought into Alice Springs to help restore law and order. A collection of nationally significant paintings from the Hermansburg School, including watercolours by famed artist Albert Namajira, are being stored in a converted tool shop exposed to dust, light and bugs. The mission at Hermansburg, also known as Ontaria in the Northern Territory, was once the home of Namajira, who in the 1930s became the first Aboriginal artist to paint the land in Western-style watercolours. It led to international fame, with the style of Namajira and his fellow artists becoming known as the Hermansburg School, their paintings displayed in galleries around Australia and internationally. But in the remote town where the movement began, 84 paintings are stored in an old corrugated iron mechanical shop, part of which has been sectioned off and lined with shipping containers. Container panels to convert it into a gallery and storage area. A 2017 expert assessment referred to the collection as being of national significance and responsibility and recommended hiring professionals to manage it long term. But it has not happened. Alison French, one of the authors of the report, who has penned two books on Albert Namajira, expressed her disappointment about it. Tropical cyclone Ilsa has crossed Western Australia's northwest coast with potentially record-breaking winds, buffeting locked-down communities as it moves inland. The cyclone hit the coast as a Category 5 system between the Grey and Padua about midnight last night, bringing winds of 213 kilometers per hour. This morning it was reclassified as a, category, as a Category 3 system and expected to maintain cyclone intensity until night as it moves hundreds of kilometres inland towards Telfar and Kunawariji. A red alert warning was issued, advising communities in its direct path to shelter in place. It's been more than a decade since a cyclone of this magnitude has hit the region. In the regional centre of Port Headland, west of, of the storm's centre, locals are sheltering indoors until the threat has passed. Mayor of Port Headland, Peter Carter, told SBS the people on the ground were doing all it takes to keep the community safe. We're doing everything we can to try and keep our community safe. We've got the best people on the ground. We've got extra service people up from Perth, and they're doing a great job. The emergency services guys we have in town do a great job. A lot of them are volunteers, and they're you know, leaving their families to go out to protect our community. They do a great job. Fantastic job. New South 
New South Wales Premier Chris Minns announced today a string of changes in the way the cabinet will work, including the reinstatement of a cabinet office to provide advice to his government. The existing Department of Premier and Cabinet will be dissolved on the 1st of July and replaced by the Cabinet Office and a new separate Premier's Department. Both new agencies will report directly to the Premier. Mr Mintz says the change is necessary for his Cabinet to make its decisions. The Government will reinstate the Cabinet Office in New South Wales as a linchpin of a strong and robust decision-making process inside the New South Wales government to give independent advice to the incoming government. I think it's appropriate and important in terms of determining and delivering good decision-based uh, processes for the incoming government. As part of the overhaul, Chris Mind is also replacing a series of senior officials. The most senior officials in Treasury, Education and Transport have been shown at the door. The New South Wales Liberals are to decide who will take over the position of opposition leader nearly a month after they lost government. A party room meeting has been called by Dominic Perrottet for April 21. The former Premier announced he'd resign on the night of the coalition's election loss on March 25. The meeting falls a day after the expected declaration of results in the upper house, where Liberal candidate Rachel Martin is hoping to secure one of the final seats. Brazilian President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva is in a state visit to China. He met with the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party in Shanghai yesterday. Mr. Lula intends to reset the relationship with Brazil's largest trade partner after the four years' presidency of his predecessor, Jair Bolsonaro, which saw a a frostening of relations between Beijing and Brasilia. He says the two countries enjoy a special relationship. Our relationship with the Chinese government is not just any relationship. By recognizing China as a market economy, we were telling the world that we did not want China to live underground in the commercial world, that China should be represented by what it represents in the world economy at that time. Mr. Lola also attended the inauguration of former Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff as the BRICS Bank in as the head of the BRICS Bank in Shanghai. In the United States, the FBI has arrested a man suspected of being responsible for the leak of classified documents that uh, has embarrassed Washington for days. Video images played on news channels show heavily armed officers accompanying a young man wearing a t-shirt and shorts into a waiting car walking with his head bowed. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland says the FBI has arrested a man called Jack Teixeira, an employee of the U.S. Air Force National Guard. Today, the Justice Department arrested Jack Douglas Teixeira in connection with an investigation into alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. Teixeira is an employee of the United States Air Force National Guard. FBI agents took Teixeira into custody earlier this afternoon without incident. The FBI says they are conducting what they call authorized law enforcement activity in a private residence in the town of North Titan in the state of Massachusetts. Some of the most sensitive leaked details are purportedly related to Ukraine's military capabilities and shortcomings and information about U.S. allies including Israel, South Korea and Turkey.
Still in the United States, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has welcomed the Defense Minister of Latvia, Inara Manasi. The pair are discussing the ongoing commitment with allies and partners to support Ukraine's fight against Russia. Both Mr. Austin and Ms. Manasi expressed eagerness for the finalization of a contract that will, will enable the deployment of naval strike missiles and HIMARS from the United States to Latvia. Latvia and its two Baltic neighbors, Estonia and Lithuania, are at the, front, are at the forefront of NATO's actions towards Russia, and Mr. Austin underlined that Latvia's contribution is large in comparison to its small size. You are among the top, uh, top contributors of military assistance to Ukraine relative to the size of your economy. You reminded us of that a couple of times, and that's been very highly motivating. But Latvia has donated more than 1% of its GDP to helping Ukraine fight Russian aggression. Back home, a police officer from Victoria is facing charges after allegedly kicking someone while he was on duty. The 35-year-old senior constable has been charged with unlawful assault and assault by kicking following an internal investigation. The incident allegedly took place in Delacombe, southwest of Ballarat, in early April last year. The officer is set to appear before the Ballarat Magistrates Court in June. And uh, to sport, the Adelaide Crows have kicked off the AFL's inaugural gather-round with a thumping win over Carlton. Crow Ben Keys kicked three, while Darcy Fogarty and Tex Walker start for the home side. 118 points to 62 was the final score in front of 47,000 fans at Adelaide Oval. The city has hit record accommodation rates with eight of the nine games being played this round already sold out. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Friday afternoon. Broome, mostly cloudy, 31. Perth, a shower or two, becoming windy, 19 degrees. Adelaide, showers increasing, 26. Melbourne, mostly sunny, 23. Hobart, cloudy, 18. Albury-Wodonga, sunny, 21. Canberra, mostly sunny, 21. Wollongong, showers, 21. Sydney, a shower or two, 22 degrees. Newcastle, showers, 24. Brisbane, sunny 28. Townsville, mostly sunny 33. Cairns, partly cloudy 34. Alice Springs, mostly sunny day 34 degrees. Darwin, scattered thunderstorms, top of 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, partly cloudy day and a top of 31 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I am Bertrand Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio, broadcasting from Nam on the Colin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, well, a conversation with uh, Sunny Ray Con- Townsend. With uh, Sunny Ray, we discover a groundbreaking First Nations th- Children's Theatre, a performance that that's returning to Australia today, precisely at the Sydney Opera House, 10 years after cycling the world. And ahead of the much-anticipated AFL gather-round in Adelaide this weekend, the game is once again tarnished by acts of racism against Indigenous players. And this is happening sadly 30 years after 
Nick Winman's heroic stance against racism. But first, some hard current affairs stories, including developments around voice to parliament and the world get water crisis in New South Wales. Your community, your conversation, NITV Radio. The shock resignation of a Liberal Party frontbencher has prompted a display of bipartisanship of sorts on the voice to parliament. Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney has met with her Liberal predecessor Ken Wyatt to call on the opposition leader to support the referendum. But Peter Dutton has other ideas, using a trip to Central Australia to highlight what he be, why he believes the voice won't fix Indigenous disadvantage. Claire Slattery reports. Far from the partisan politics of Canberra, the past and present ministers for Indigenous Australians are walking together in support of constitutional recognition. Speaking from Perth, former Liberal MP Ken Wyatt and current Labor MP Linda Burney were united in their plea for bipartisan support. There is still time for Mr Dutton to change his mind. Still time for Mr Dutton to have a change of heart. And I encourage him to walk with us on this journey. It is a change, as I've said earlier, for our grandchildren. Because if we maintain the status quo, then nothing will change. This is about a better future. So all of those people listening, I want you to think about giving us the opportunity to sit at the tables at every level. Ken Wyatt resigned his Liberal Party membership last week over its decision to oppose a voice to Parliament. The position is binding on all frontbench MPs, prompting the Coalition's spokesman for Indigenous Australians, Julian Lisa, to quit the frontbench yesterday. His decision has fanned speculation that other Liberal frontbenchers who are supportive of the voice could follow. Ken Wyatt says if others quit, it could force the party to change its position. What we should do is allow my former colleagues to work through the issues and make their own decisions. And I think Peter Dutton will give them a conscience vote and they will then express the way they want to vote. But I do hope that many more come across. But Liberal moderate Simon Birmingham says quitting the front bench is not his intention. He's told Sky News he won't join the no campaign, but has stopped short of revealing if he'll vote yes. Every Australian's going to, uh, to enjoy uh, the normal secret ballot uh, of this type of process. Um, I'm hoping that there is still room for some type of Uh, some type of consensus to be salvaged out of this situation. I've said for a long time that I don't wish to see an unsuccessful referendum put forward to the Australian people. Uh, uh, There are options available to the government in terms of what the coalition has said uh, about bipartisan support for constitutional recognition, which could be a unifying moment for the nation. But there's been no signs yet of a softening in position from Peter Dutton. He's paid a snap visit to the Red Centre with National Senator Jacinta Numpajimpa Price. Together, they've heard from locals who've been affected by an ongoing crime wave. Alice Springs is a beautiful town. It's the heart of our country. And that heart is broken at the moment. And it's clear that... Alice Springs has never been further from Canberra. Appearing alongside Alice Springs business owner Darren Clark. I'm very thankful for Peter coming up today because we're, we're hurting you. We're seriously in trouble in this town. 
We've got young kids in trouble. No one cares for them. Our territory government doesn't care for them. Our federal government's not caring for them. We've got the people, the elderly people in this town, nursing homes, nursing homes are being broken into twice this week. Elderly people being broken into in the suburbs here, being bashed. We can't drive from one side of town to the other of a night. We're in a self-imposed curfew in Alice Springs. Peter Dutton used the visit to again call for practical solutions to end Indigenous disadvantage through legislated local and regional voices. I don't believe that a Canberra voice uh, of 24 people who predominantly come from capital cities is going to be the solution to the problems here on the ground. If I did, I'd embrace it straight away. While Jacinta Numpajimpa Price has deflected suggestions, she'll replace Julian Lisa on the front bench, standing by Peter Dutton in her opposition to The Voice. It's simple. Invest the money where it's going to work. Don't drag it out. Don't pretend like you have the answer to everything, but we require a bloody referendum for that answer to appear. That's not the solution. Locals know what the solutions are. I've listened to them. Darren's one of these locals. Peter's been listening. It's time for the Albanese government to step up and to listen. A parliamentary committee into the proposed constitutional changes will begin on Friday. Julian Lisa will use the opportunity to implore Labor to remove a provision from its voice proposal that would allow the body to advise the executive government. He argues that scrapping that clause would help to garner conservative support. Advocates for the voice are still holding out hope the coalition will change its mind. Back in Perth, Noongar elder Uncle Ben Taylor says it's an idea whose time has come. I've suffered 83 years on this land of racism and it's about time we get a voice. I'm looking forward to it. Claire Slattery, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Now, new research has found tap water in parts of New South Wales is undrinkable for the many First Nations residents with pre-existing health conditions. The community of Walgate in northwestern New South Wales has lived with the problem for years and is calling on the state government to do something about it. Emma Kellaway reports. This small town is bordered by one of the largest fresh waterways in the state, but clean drinking water is scarce. Many in the community rely on bottled water, which in some cases can exceed the price of soft drink. And families on tiny incomes paying up to $50 a week for bottled water, then that doesn't leave much money for families buying food, good fresh food, when it's in the supermarket. After years of extreme drought and floods, the river water is undrinkable. For the last five years, Walgut has relied on bore water that's pumped from the Great Artesian Basin. But experts warn sodium levels in the bore water is 15 times higher than doctors recommend for long-term consumption by people with existing health issues. The, the fact that the, the town has had to operate for long periods of time on the Great Artesian Basin water creates... Um, creates the problem to those um, vulnerable members of the community. A recent survey found 44% of Walgett's First Nations residents were worried about accessing safe drinking water, a higher rate of water insecurity than in Bangladesh. This is the first time we've rolled it out in a, in a First Nations community here in Australia. I would suspect that, that if it was rolled out into other 
First Nations communities, we would see similar similar scores. Chronic disease is common in the community and many fear drinking the water will impact their health. A group of elders from the community is now calling for urgent action from the New South Wales government. If the New South Wales government won't act, then who will? Action on this is long overdue. They want an independent task force set up to assess the water supply issue. You know, this wouldn't be tolerated in Sydney, so why is it okay here? Emma Kellaway, NITV News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Now, a short time after this report about uh, the crisis, uh, the water crisis uh, in the world, it was aired on NITV last night. The New South Wales government responded to NITV's request for comment with uh, Water Minister Rose Jackson, saying an executive meeting has been called to look at ways of improving the quality of Walgate's water and that she will soon meet the community with the community to discuss further solutions. We must now go to a break, but when we come back, Sunny Ray Townsend uh, talks to us about a deadly First Nations theatre performance that's coming back home after cycling the world. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. After touring the world for over a decade, Salt Bush, a children's theatre performance that fuses First Nations storytelling, digital technology and dance, is coming back to Australia, running from the 14th to the 17th of April at Sydney Opera House. And I'm pleased to say that Sunny Ray, Salt Bush rehearsal director, is joining us on NITV Radio to take us through the play's extraordinary journey. Sunny Ray, before we dive into... The story behind Salt Bush, can you tell us about yourself and uh, your journey and how you began working on this groundbreaking play? My name is Sunny Ray. My people are of the Kadal, Samu and Dibal clans of Saibai Island in the Torres Strait. Um, I am a freelance performer, freelance choreographer. I've travelled with Salt Bush for a good number of years, and close to nearly a decade now. With this show, um, I can I talk about this show heaps because um, my best friend uh, created the show with, um, uh, with Lily Bennett, Yoda Yoda woman from Victoria. My best friend is Dion Hasty, and he's mob, uh, you know, from Mariba, the Jabbergai mob. Yeah. Um, in far north Queensland, the role that I'm taking here today is just talking about the show, but there is another. First Nations performer, Luke Curry-Richardson. He is dancing in the show, taking um, the position that I used to take. So I've passed the torch on for him to, you know, um, give life to the show. Now, Salt Bush is described as an all-ages interactive journey through First Nations culture, but it's way, way, way more than that. Can you tell us a bit more about um, Salt Bush? So Salt Bush is... Uh, children's cheering carpet and is fully interactive. The story is about a boy and a girl. They take you through all the landscapes of Australia. Each landscape is fully interactive and there's a message behind each landscape as well. And that message is telling us and educating young ones that we have to look after our country. 
in our landscape because we enjoy it now, but we have to be able to take care of it so others down the line and other generations can have that fulfillment and that joy that we as First Nations people, you know, um, have with the, the relationship that we have with our um, landscape because our songs and our stories come from that. Yeah, and the, the name itself, Saltbush, uh, the play is inspired by a saltbush, a plant that can be found across uh, the entire country and used by uh, First Nations peoples as food, medicine, for agricultural purposes and uh, many, many other uses. Yes, yes. Like you said, it's there for medicinal purposes as well. And like if you think nowadays, the world and wider Australia are turning to First Nations um, medicinal practices, you know, because sometimes Western medicine don't work. So it's great to have that knowledge and share it with, you know, other mob. Now, Saltbush is coming to Australia, as you mentioned. It has travelled and toured the world for many years. Why has it taken so long to come back to Australia, the country where the story begins? Well, we did have a pandemic. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the show it was created overseas initially. Yeah. Um, so the show came about because Davido from TPO, an art company that creates children's work in Italy, in Prato. Um, so this, it took six weeks to create this show um, in Italy. Um, and then it came to Australia, um, toured Australia for a bit, uh, two, three years. Then I had jumped onto the show when I jumped on it. Um, we went to, my first show was here in Carriageworks. Um, and then we took it to Victoria and Adelaide. Its first international leg was in South Korea. So we went to South Korea. Um, we did Japan. We did India, we did uh, Paris, France, we did Austin, Texas, um, Japan, and for about nine years, uh, three, to, three to four times a year, we did different provinces in China. We went to South America, went to Mexico last year, uh, I think it was 2018, 2018, wow. 2018 or 2016. We also did the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Um, there was a like an art show at Broad Beach with all of the First Nations programming, and we were a part of that. Um, but yeah, the show has been everywhere internationally, um, and I've been with it as well. Um, going to Amsterdam as well. Um, yeah, in Italy. But um, yeah, like I said, it's been everywhere. And I've been there for the majority of it, which has been amazing. Just around the world. And the show is uh, not just about uh, showcasing uh, First Nations storytelling. It also blends modern techniques, including uh, participatory elements, uh, sensors and infrared cameras and all that kind of uh, high tech. um, uh, Tell us about uh, the inclusion of all these uh, different techniques. Each scene is an artwork which is done by Delva Mannix, uh, an Aboriginal woman from the Central Desert. Um, and initially she, I think she painted like 20 
pieces of artwork. Um, and what they had done is they turned these artworks into different kinds of scenery, um, which is projected down onto the floor. In all, I think there is, I think, yeah, 19 altogether. So out of 20 uh, paintings, they chose like nine scenes, and each scene has a different form of technology in the way that they use it. Um, and each scene requires participant you know, interaction. Joining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interaction. It's it's great. It's um, I've done adult shows as well, but this I have to say has been one of my favourite shows to do um, because you fully interact with the audience, um, and the show has now evolved to a point where it used to be kids that come on, but now you we find that uh, the parents want to get involved in the storyline as well, which is, you know, it's beautiful because it is a, a story for the young ones, but it also educates, like I said earlier, families about how to take care of country. Um, and that's the most common thread too. Uh, and each, I think my favourite scene out of the whole thing is the shadow scene and that's the sensory scene um, and then followed after that is um, the night sky scene which is beautiful as well in a scene like that you get to interact with you know the the parent and the child and then you bring them onto the floor and then you see how they enjoy theater you know um, and when you have nuggets of memories like that that you get to create with a mother and a son or, a, you know, a mother and a child or a father and their child, or in some cases, the grandparents that come and bring their children, you know, their grandkids to the show. Um, it's, it's beautiful. Like, it's, 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 a, it's stunning to watch. And, you know, while, you know, while the show was in India, yeah. we, um, we got, uh, we had an orphanage come in to watch the show while we were in, where were we? South of Delhi. Uh, actually, no, I lie, Bangalore. And, you know, they brought these kids in from an orphanage and, you know, they went berserk because they've never seen anything like it before. And, like, yes, we go to all of these different countries. We, have, we make sure that we have a translator too um, so that, you know, in each country... The dialect is that the whole script is in whatever language, what country we're in, um, and yeah, like I said, when we go and we go to places like that, like in India, um, where we've had an orphanage in Taiwan, when we were in Taiwan, we had like uh, an Aboriginal community from the highlands just outside of Taipei. Um, they literally had, they drove down on a bus. Um, and we waited for them. Wow. You know, it's communities like that. Uh, they came in, they saw it, and they loved it. Uh, I think my all-time favourite, if we're, um, if I'm going to, you know, go down this uh, road of memory lane, is when we were in Puebla in Mexico, and um, the whole thing had finished. Um but at the end, there was this grandmother who came with her grandchildren. She stood. She sat at the end of the carpet, and she was in tears because she can relate 
that you know it's very important for us to look after our surroundings because we believe we come from the earth or we come from the sky but one day you know at the end of the day when we leave here we either go back into the earth or you know we we are dispersed in you know air if we're going to be cremated wow yeah that's the the most favorite moment that i've ever had from the show is being able to sit with the grandmother and like with her sitting there like we you know we um got her grandkids just to have a bit more extra time on the carpet so you know there are certain scenes that i like which is like the lily pad scene or like i said the shadow scene as well when you have moments like that yeah in Cooking's Theatre, it's the most beautiful thing. Now, before I let you go, any closing words, something we may have missed that you would like to bring to the attention of our listeners? Yeah, look, um, when you do come and see the show, come in with an open heart, an open mind. You will love it. You will enjoy it. And if, you know, the dancers extend an invitation out for your child to go, and if your child doesn't want to go, you know, ask your child, do you want mommy or daddy or do you want Akka and Atso? Akka meaning poppy, yeah, or grandma, grandmother and grandfather. Like, ask, you know, the child, like, do you want me to come along on the cover with you? Because it's it may mean something to you as, you know, the adult, but you have to think to yourself, I was a child too once. So you never got anything like this as a child. So, um, yeah, enjoy that moment, you know, create, make new memories and experiences for you and your child and have a great time. Yeah, and the show, it's beautiful. Sunny, thank you so much and uh, have a great afternoon. You too, thank you. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Welcome back. Well, this weekend, the AFL is holding its first ever gather round with all 18 teams playing their round five fixture in Adelaide. But it's been overshadowed by a spate of online racial abuse directed at multiple indigenous players. The AFL is vowing to make every effort to track down the perpetrators. Sean Wells reports. It's been billed as a celebration of AFL in the City of Churches. More than 200,000 tickets have been sold for nine AFL matches this round, all being played in Adelaide. Here's Peter Malinowskis, the South Australian Premier. The national game that is accessible to all, no matter where you come from, no matter your gender, your colour, your religion or your creed, footy is for everyone. And that's what we celebrate here in South Australia this weekend, unlike ever before. But that message of inclusivity has been lost on some. The shine of the new initiative has been tarnished by the racial abuse of multiple AFL players. The online attacks have been directed towards four Indigenous players in the space of two days this week. Retired Indigenous footballer Eddie Betts spoke on Fox Footy about the latest incidents. It happens all the time and we, we continue to speak about it. We continue to, to call it out and um, when I saw what happened over the weekend, it, it was hard to see and you know, my love goes out to, to those boys, their families, um, their teammates as well that, that are there playing with those boys but enough's enough. enough. Like when, when are we going to see a stance? You know, it's, it's time where 
I guess we need the final. A Brisbane Lions supporter has reported abuse directed at Charlie Cameron. Adelaide youngster Isaac Rankin responded to his abusers post directly, while Fremantle's Nathan Wilson and Michael Walters were also subjected to similar vilification. Two weeks ago, Western Bulldogs forward Jamara Eugle Hagen pointed to his skin after also having racial abuse directed at him. Eugle Hagen was emotional, speaking after the game. I did want to make a stance. I wanted to show my presence. Obviously, obviously, what happened on the last weekend was a pretty hard time. Um, so just going out there and just proving a point that like, which I'm just a boy trying to play some football, same as the other Indigenous boys. I think just being strong. His move harked back to the celebrated stance of Nicky Winmar, which the Indigenous star made on the field almost 30 years ago to this day. Grant Hansen is an Indigenous broadcaster. We can go back to the Sir Doug Nichols days and even before Sir Doug about racism in the AFL, but it's, just, it's not just something that the AFL are dealing with, it's a society thing as well. It's a much broader um, scale that we're looking at just besides the AFL. The AFL has vowed to do all it can to track down the perpetrators of online racial abuse. But the league has also acknowledged the difficulty, with many of the accounts anonymous and often deleted. Cyber expert Susan McLean is calling for players to be supported in making complaints to the police. If you go to the police and make a report, because this is a crime... The police can get the identification of the perpetrator and charge them. That's the only way this is going to change. An ugly blight on our national game as it makes on-field history. Sean Wales, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And staying in AFL, well, this Sunday, April 16, Collingwood and Nikki Winmar will unite at AFL Gather Round, uh, in the sidelines of the AFL Gather Round, in a landmark move to repair the pain that prompted the St Kilda Great to take football's most powerful stand against uh, racism. It has to be reminded that on the 17th of April, 1993, Nikki Winmar stood defiantly in front of opposition spectators who had been hurling racial abuse at him. He lifted his jersey and pointed at his skin, shouting, I am black and I'm proud to be black. Before his defiant stance, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander AFL players had endured racial abuse on the field from spectators and other players. Winmar's stand, which was captured in iconic photographs, opened the way to a code of conduct that was the first of its kind in Australia. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. And uh, this uh, brings us to today's program, this Friday afternoon's program, Bertrand Tungendami. I am Bertrand Tungendami, thanking you for your company and also wishing you a very good and safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yellow.